Hey everyone, I'm your host Tom Shaughnessy and welcome back to Chain Reaction, a research-driven podcast that's a part of Delphi Digital. If you're not on Delphi's research portal, you're missing out on the critical analysis read by the top minds in the crypto space, so be sure to check it out. One quick housekeeping item, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. I may personally hold tokens mentioned on the podcast and you can view our show notes below for our complete disclosures. With that, let's jump into the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Chain Reaction Podcast, part of the Delphi Podcast. Today I'm here with Robbie, who is president and CEO of Endowment. Robbie, how's it going? Good man. Good to be on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have us on. So, Robbie, you guys are tackling a, a pretty big market. You're an early stage project. Give us the elevator pitch on what you guys are doing before we get into it. Sure. Endowment is the first on-chain public charity. Uh, we serve as the decentralized finance community's uh, uh, community foundation. We uh, offer donor-advised funds, which are a special kind of charitable account that is owned and managed by a public charity. And basically, the way it works is you deposit crypto into your donor-advised fund. Endowment takes possession of that crypto. We liquidate it for dollars, and then you as the donor get to recommend grants, whereby you choose organizations from one and a half million organizations in the United States and choose organizations to receive those funds that are the proceeds from your donation. And so through those donor advised funds, uh, we allow basically people to give crypto and then grant it as dollars uh, to nearly any 501c3 in the country. That's incredible. So you guys are offering basically donor advised funds through smart contracts. How does the charitable world work in the traditional world? Like how do people donate to charities? Do they just, you know, write a check and get a tax break back? How exactly does that work today? So there are sort of a couple of different ways to give to charities traditionally. Um, You can give cash to a single charity as a one-time donation, and they'll give you a receipt for that donation, and you'll get a tax deduction for that donation. You can also choose to give property or to give stocks or bonds. And there are lots of tools out there for giving stock. There are, uh, you know, famously cars for kids. Uh, that is sort of, you know, take jingle. your car. Yeah. K-A-R-S, cars for cars kids. For kids. Yep. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. So uh, you can give property and get a tax deduction on the value of that property. Um but there, there are also many donor advised fund providers out there that basically act as the charity that you are donating to. And you give to the, to the donor, advised provi- donor advised fund provider and they liquidate it for dollars. And then you get this sort of oversight over how you get this advisory privilege is the, is the technical term for it to determine where and when those funds generated from your gifts go to what organizations. And so that's 
been the fastest growing philanthropic vehicle totally outpacing traditional gifting over the last several years with uh, over $120 billion in DAF assets uh, in the United States across more than 750,000 accounts growing at a breakneck clip over the last several years. Uh, the latest data we have is up through 2019. And there we're seeing, you know, 50% year-over-year growth in the number of donor-advised funds, mostly powered by, you know, the growth in Fidelity Charitable and Schwab Charitable, you know, these brokerages that are offering this as a way to effectively mitigate capital gains tax exposure for those who are using their brokerages. And so we see this as an opportunity to provide a real primitive to the crypto community, to the decentralized finance community at large by saying, okay, this exists for the current, for the sort of classical asset types. Now let's let's bring this primitive over to the crypto asset class in a way that is crypto native, that leverages crypto native software and services and sort of builds itself in a way that speaks to this community in the way that they like to see their projects built out. And so we're really excited about sort of carrying that torch for the broader community and, and trying to fulfill that promise. Yeah, no, I think it's great that the traditional market for this is so large. Like you're targeting something that already exists. You don't have to recreate the whole wheel here. When when you say that there's 750,000 donor-advised funds and over $120 billion in donor-advised fund assets, what is a specific donor advised fund? Like, would I open my own DAF and then contribute funds from there to an organization, or are the organizations the DAFs? Um, it's the former. So, the way you Got just it. described it is totally accurate. You know, you're approaching endowment as a public charity and saying, I would like to open a donor advised fund. And endowment says, Great, excited to have you. You know, here is your contract address on chain for your donor advised fund. And here is a UI for you to contribute to that donor advised fund over 135 different Ethereum-based assets. And we use the Uniswap open source front end to facilitate that liquidation mechanism and the transfer of those assets. And you then contribute some of your stack to your donor advised fund. And instead of you selling it before you give it, we actually take it in its original form and take on the onus of, uh, of selling that on your behalf. And so you donate it to the public charity, and it's an irrevocable donation to the public charity. We then sell it for USDC and deposit it off at your new donor advised fund contract on chain. At uh, which yeah, point no, you, you say that a lot of time sort of. Oh, yeah, right. No, sorry to interrupt you. I, you know, it's just we take the the proceeds there, and that's what you get to then determine through grant recommendations how those funds get passed out to all these different nonprofits around the country. That's that's incredible. And what's the response been on the organizational side? Like, you know, do you have to get the Red Cross and Boys and Girls Club of America up to speed on what crypto is, or is it kind of like? you know, hey guys, I'm going to send you, you know, USDC and you could use this for your organizations. We use grant recommendations as a carrot to bring nonprofit organizations into the Ethereum ecosystem. Others in the space have gone more of the traditional one at a time. I'm going to approach each organization and say, hey, here's the benefits of accepting crypto. Here's the donor base, you know, let's get you on board. 
we've taken a sort of inverse approach. Our system automatically creates escrow addresses on chain for every organization that receives a grant recommendation from an endowment donor advised fund. And basically what that means is that nearly any of the nation's one and a half million nonprofit organizations are now in a position to accept Ethereum and Ethereum-based assets as donations to their organization as US dollars. And we think that's a really powerful adoption network effect, so to speak, to bring organizations into the world of cryptocurrency. And we actually think that that's um, a more effective approach to find the right organizations at the right time as donors are giving to the organizations in their community that they care about. We'll have this powerful carrot of saying, hey, there's money here waiting for you in the crypto ecosystem. And all you have to do is either provide us your banking details or go through this easy wallet setup. And we will either wire you the money or uh, send it to you as USDC, depending on your preference. That's. I just think it's incredible from a UI and UX perspective that you basically have every charity or organization basically just live on your site today versus having to go one by one. Like you said, that that's not scalable. Right. And we think this is a really powerful shift for the potentiality of donations via crypto, because it used to be that you had to go find an organization that accepted crypto and you needed them to understand crypto and you needed them to figure out how to get your donation into dollars. And pretty much every organization that we would talk to would throw their hands up in the air and say, I am not interested in taking on this risk. And we said, okay, how do we de-risk this interaction? And so we take care of converting it into dollars and we give them a really easy pathway into their bank account and a lower cost, but slightly more involved uh, pathway into a new crypto wallet that they set up for themselves. And we think that's like a really powerful onboarding engine for real businesses to come into the Ethereum ecosystem that are critical to like real world communities in the United States. These aren't like esoteric speculators, right? These are actual community institutions that could really benefit from having this capital and this donor funnel forwarded their direction. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. And just on the technicals of it, do you you set up a wallet for each organization, and then eventually they can like claim the private keys from you guys, or, or like how does that handoff work and that setup work? Very close. What we've set up is an escrow smart contract address for each organization as they receive grant recommendations, and then an organization after that grant has been approved by the endowment staff to check against due diligence and to check against conflicts of interest or any sort of donor benefit, we then contact that organization and say, here's the claiming progress process for claiming your organization's escrow contract. And they use our UI to come in and provide details about themselves, about an administrator at the organization. We hold a short video call with that organization and uh, make sure that they are who they say they are, and then verify that this is their wallet address or that this is their bank account. 
And once that's done, we then wire, we, we then pass the USDC to the organization, either as a wire or as USDC tokens, depending on their preference. And they then have it in their bank account or have it in their wallet. But once they're verified, you can basically know as a donor that it's going straight to their leadership as USDC. That's pretty cool that you check every organization. How deep is that due diligence process? Because I'm assuming you know, you don't want people to come on and lie about who they are. And it's also great that you're checking because a lot of online platforms try to automate a lot of that curation and, and uh, checking about things. But it's great that you're getting on the phone with these people. Yeah, there's sort of two sides to the due diligence problem. Side number one is the donor and side number two is the organization. On the organization side, we use um, a partner data provider called Candid, uh, more formerly known as GuideStar. And GuideStar is really the industry standard when it comes to verifying nonprofit organizations and collating information about their programs in the United States. And so we're able to do a significant amount of due diligence in advance of you even being able to send a grant recommendation about a given organization through the information that we get to GuideStar, get from GuideStar. Uh, and on the donor side, uh, we're just checking to make sure that the donor isn't getting any uh, benefit from the grant recommendation that they make. And so that means we're taking in information about who's making the, 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 the grant recommendation and asking the organization, does this person work at the organization? What restrictions do we need to put on these funds in order to make sure that that donor doesn't receive any excess benefit from the donation? Because otherwise we'd have money laundering concerns or uh, sort of tax deductibility concerns. We jeopardize our 501c3. And the most important thing that we can do as an organization is make sure that we can be fully tax deductible for our donors without jeopardizing our 501c3. So that's sort of how the due diligence equation works. And, um, you know, we've tried to really put all of that information out there in the open. Uh, it's all viewable on docs.endowment.org. All of our policies are out there in the open. And over time, we really want to hand over those policies to our community within the constraints of U.S. regulatory allowances. Yeah, no, that I like that you're doing checks on both sides. It makes a lot of sense to make sure the platform's legit. And just on the KPI side, I, I hate to ask, but I'd like to just kind of round out the conversation. Do you have any metrics on, I guess, the amount of time you're saving people with crypto who want to donate to organizations? Like, are you streamlining the process where it takes them, you know, 10 minutes instead of, you know, 10 days? Or, or are you saving them, you know, money on, on advice somewhere? I guess I'm just trying to close the loop on the efficiency that you're bringing to the crypto space with endowment? Well, I think what's important to note about using crypto services and crypto software, you know, smart contracts, Uniswap, Circle, uh, and all of our different partners that we're leveraging to make our technology stack is that we wind up being the lowest cost, lowest minimum DAF provider in the country, crypto or not. And it costs about six bucks depending on gas prices, to deploy a DAF, whereas most DAF providers will require you to pay a minimum $100 fee per year plus a minimum $5,000 donation. And we're coming in and saying there's no minimum to donating to an endowment DAF. All you have to do is pay the cost of deploying the DAF smart contract on-chain. And 
And our UI on top of that is, is built around our, our user experience, you know, and, and that seems sort of obvious, just like from a redundancy standpoint that, you know, like the, the user interface would be built around the user experience. But what's happened in the nonprofit world with DAF providers is that DAF software has been built specifically for the organizations that are providing the DAF, not for the end user who is holding a DAF. And so the other pieces of software that are out there in this space are really clunky, super dated when it comes to uh, UI UX, and really don't take into account what's the sort of easiest way, what are the things that the donor cares about when they're going to make a grant recommendation out of their DAF, or when they're going to add more funds to their DAF by what we've done is tried to recenter the product development process around the donor experience. And so not only are we the cheapest donor advised fund provider on the market, but we're also built totally from the ground up in this sort of user first mentality. And I think those two things together make the endowment DAF one of the most pleasurable DAFs to use in the country, and, and, and that's a product of, of our origin story and the fact that we built sort of for ourselves. Robbie, you said that UI and UX is a key focus for you guys. Um, I'm, not, I, I'm not like a charity expert or you know, done a zillion charitable donations. Is there a place on Web 2.0 where people can view like a large list of different organizations they can donate to? Because I feel like a lot of your edge here is, is also having that list and having all those organizations on there. So I guess the easiest way to see the contracts that are deployed on endowment right now, which are the, the, the organization escrow contracts that we were talking about earlier, is if you go to app.endowment.org slash orgs, uh, we automatically pull up all of our deployed contract addresses and you can see exactly what organizations are already set up to basically receive grant recommendations from an endowment DAF. Just on Web 2.0, though, is there like a place where I could like, is there a website where I can go and do this the traditional way where I could view, you know, Red Cross, Boys and Girls Club of America, like in all the different organizations? Because I feel like you're kind of not curated list, but your list makes it really easy for me to donate to a bunch of different charities all at once. Yeah, you know, GuideStar has made a, a rather large business out of basically creating profile pages for all of the nonprofits in the country. And so they have really exhaustive platform, you know, profile pages essentially for each nonprofit organization. And it explains their programs and can give donation links and can tell you more about what kinds of donations they support. I think that's probably listeners' best place to start if they were just looking to understand more about any organization is uh, turn to GuideStar because their resources are, are really sort of second to none when it comes to collating data about any nonprofit, whether or not they're accepting crypto. That's awesome. And you mentioned earlier that you guys have the lowest minimum, so most charge or require a $100 fee. 5K a year in donations, you guys are basically just the gas costs and no minimums, which is incredible. That has to unlock a massive market of just everyday people that want to make charitable donations. 
Yeah, you know, a common criticism of the donor advised fund is that it's this thing sort of sequestered and exclusively for the rich who have a lot of capital gains, get, you know, to offset. And I think that's a sort of like a travesty, uh, for lack of a better word. This is the most efficient, um, most effective way for an individual or a household to basically become a philanthropist. And to change their mindset about charitable giving from one-off interactions to, I am my own little foundation. And that, I think, is a really powerful mindset shift for a donor and for families and for people who care about what's happening in the world to treat their charitable giving with a little bit more intentionality. You know, we saw during the Black Lives Matter movement in protests during this summer, so many people giving to Black-run charities, to, to nonprofits that were specifically supporting, you know, bail funds or um, freedom projects uh, across the United States. And the question becomes, how do you keep propagating this effort over time? How do you not lose the momentum that's there? And I think bringing the DAF to the masses at a low cost gives you that change in perspective about the kind of charitable giving that you're doing to think about issues as things that you should support again and again and again, and that you can be a part of the success of these organizations each and every year or, you know, each and every quarter. And that's something that was previously sort of relegated to those who had enough money to make the economics of a donor advised fund worth it. And I think not only is this exciting because now you can give 135 different uh, Ethereum-based assets to charity, but now like basically anybody can do that. You know, even if you came to us with cash, I'd argue that our DAF product is lower cost, more compelling, easier to use than some of the other DAF products out there. And, And to me, that's that's almost more exciting than the fact that we're putting crypto onto the onto the sort of charity payment rails. It makes a lot of sense. And we spoke offline a little bit about just the DAF process where people kind of park assets there and the assets kind of sit there. They don't really flow to the charities. In your model, you kind of explained how the crypto is automatically sold and sent to the charity. So you're speeding up the process a lot here for the actual organizations right. to get their funds. Right. We think not only is it wrong that DAFs have been sequestered to the super rich, but it's also wrong that current DAF providers basically sit on assets to deploy them into for-profit investments. And that it's actually in their interest to have these assets sit dormant and not in the community that they are intended for, right? So donor comes, gets their tax deduction, parks the money, And it just kind of sits there in money markets or in ETFs or in other kinds of for-profit investments that generally support the brokerage that is underwriting the nonprofit that powers their DAF. So, you know, Fidelity is deploying Fidelity charitable assets into Fidelity investments. And... Schwab is taking Schwab charitable assets, deploying them into Schwab investments. And those same fee structures apply, and it can serve as a sort of uh, you know, liquidity backstop for a lot of these for-profit investment bundles or, or for-profit you know, investment products. We think that's 
that's kind of backwards. And, and I think, you know, it, it, you're catching on to it you're, yourself here, you know, just as I see you nodding your head, you know, <laughs> we, we think the money should go into the community when it's given to charity. And so what we do is we've built our business model around uh, sort of incentivizing us as a nonprofit organization to get the money out of our DAFs. So we get paid two to one uh, on a fees basis when money flows out of a DAF versus when money flows into a DAF. That's interesting on incentives. Yeah. Right, right. Totally. And it, it completely flips on our head how we build software. Because now the goal is to get the money out of our donor advised funds or get the money into a community fund that is determining the grants that uh, are being made out to organizations, right? Because once it comes into a DAF, we don't want it to sit there. We want that capital to empower real-world organizations and have them see the benefit of onboarding into the Ethereum and crypto ecosystem. And so That's we've awesome, yeah. built our system to reward us when we achieve that. I, I like, like that. Yeah, every DeFi project today is optimizing to build a balance sheet to have control and tokens of a claim over that. You guys are obviously the reverse for good reason, given your focus to get the funds out of there as quickly as possible. Can you talk a little bit about your business model? Like, how do you guys make money to, to fund, you know, the growth of endowment, the developers, the UI, the outreach, the whole nine yards? Right. So endowment is a public charity. So, you know, we, we can't, you know, we're a nonprofit organization. So the, the proof is in the pudding there, you know, where we aren't really trying to make any money off of what we're doing. We're trying to fund our operations. And so in order to provide this service of due diligence in these organizations, of verifying, you know, that grants aren't receiving excess benefit and of managing the day-to-day of the organization, we charge fees on money in and money out. And that goes to pay staff and to pay uh, sort of API licensing fees and a whole slew of other sort of startup, you know, regular startup costs, hosting costs, so on and so forth. We endowment, the nonprofit, have licensed our software from a for-profit entity called Giving Tree Technologies. And that for-profit entity owns the software that powers the donor advice funds. And that for-profit entity is ultimately responsible for doing the software development, right? Doing the iteration on the platform, for making new user experiences, for advancing the offering over time. And that for-profit entity has all of the sort of same available fundraising mechanisms to it that any other startup would have. And in return, uh, basically, it licenses for free uh, in perpetuity to endowment its software as the charitable gift to power the nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And so we are looking at some really exciting new ways to fund the for-profit entity over time um, to help push that software offering forward. And we're really excited over the coming months to sort of share a little bit about how we're doing that. But primarily what we're looking to do is to have each of our licensees 
issue a token for the for the sort of pooled assets that they are governing inside of each of their executions. So Endowment will soon announce and launch its community endowment fund, which will be a, a set of pooled assets governed by a token that Endowment, the nonprofit, will issue. And in order to facilitate the governance of those pooled funds, those tokens will have a say in the investments and in the grants that are made out of that pooled funding mechanism. And as a part of that initial genesis distribution of those tokens, Giving Tree Technologies will receive a licensing payment for basically having built the software that powers that community fund. And so down the road, as we sort of share more of the details around how this will work, we we're excited to sort of bring our community into the existing users of endowment into that token base while also saying, okay, this provides a path to sustainability for the for-profit entity that's building this software. Yeah, no, that, that's super interesting. So, so just two points there. So on the, the overall fees for the platform, it's half a percent inbound and 1% outbound. And then what you're discussing here correct me if I'm wrong, first time hearing about it, I think it's awesome, is basically a community fund that will be a DAO and then token holders choose the investment allocations, maybe in DeFi, and then select where those funds will go to. Is that right? That's exactly correct. Cool. That's exactly correct. I, I think, I mean, one of the awesome things is, I mean, even though you guys are incentivizing money to leave endowment, um, which is great, I think eventually, I mean, until these people, until these organizations sign up, you might have so much idle capital sitting in here that you could just put it, park it in DeFi, get a yield, and give that to token holders. I mean, there's so many ways to do this when you build up. You're building up basically, you know, potentially 1.5 million different balance sheets, which is interesting at the end of the day. You have a lot of optionality. Right. I think it's important to distinguish a couple things. And you're totally grasping onto this exactly correctly. I just want to clarify one or two things. One is that when you make a donation, you can't receive anything of value. And so any, any yield that will be earned by idle funds will be recommitted to philanthropy. And so it's growing the amount of impact that you can have. And that's the traditional value prop of a donor advised fund is grow your impact. That's the common sort of vernacular that you'll hear. What we want to do is say, okay, you put money into a DAF. You can either choose to retain the power and control over where it gets uh, sort of distributed to over time, or you can commit it to this community DAO, which will deploy it into yield earning DeFi protocols and determine where it gets distributed to, to nonprofits based on community proposals. And you're basically relinquishing that power to token holders who are earning those tokens based on how actively they're participating in endowment. And we think that that's a really sort of powerful mechanism to basically say, okay, if you're not the kind of person who wants to get super in the weeds about where the money goes out to, great. Put money into your DAF and kick it to the community foundation where the, where the community fund will basically crowdsource where that capital should get deployed. 
But if you want to stay in the weeds and if you want to stay involved and you want that sort of individual experience, you can keep it in your, you can keep your, your capital in your own DAF, but we're going to try and give you as many incentives as possible through token rewards to get it out of your DAF. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. That, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess when you're thinking through how you were building endowment, was there ever a question of, hey, maybe instead of giving the donations to the organizations, you know, we just invested in Compound or Av and just give them the interest forever, like, you know, sustainable way there. Was there any kind of thought about just giving them the yield instead of the money up front or anything along those lines? Well, I think what's really interesting about what we're doing by building this relationship with organizations and bringing them into the Ethereum and DeFi ecosystem is that there's an opportunity when they're receiving their grant awards to say, hey, if you keep this in your wallet, you can deploy this into these money markets and earn interest on your earned grant awards. And I think there's an education opportunity there. But the short answer to your question is our current offering, we really see as an MVP. And, you know, this was us hurrying to get something out as soon as possible to start learning from our user base, to start learning from organizations about what they need. And we see a ton of opportunity to expand the functionality of both the organization contract as well as the fund contract that we that that that, that we mint out of our contract factories. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity down the road to grow the functionality of both of these contracts, to upgrade them to new investment opportunities, to give people more control over how their money sits in their DAF or organizations, you know, incentives to go deploy it into yield earning protocols. But right now, what we have is just this baseline DAF functionality recreation. What we said is, let's just go out and get the bare minimum of what a DAF does today. And let's replicate that through smart contracts on chain. And that's what we have right now. But you're totally hitting the nail on the head by saying, you know, what could we do with this capital once it's in the hands of these organizations? And I think, you know, for now, that's an education problem, but down the road, that's an engineering problem as well. That's really great call, Robbie. Makes a lot of sense. And I guess just to close out the conversation, I mean, how has, like, what's the status of endowment today? I mean, obviously you can go on, it's live, things like that, but I guess what's the plan for the next couple of months? What are you excited about and how do people get involved and go try this? First off, we're, we're we're live on mainnet, audited by Open Zeppelin, and uh, oh, you know, an audit. Thank you so much. <laughs> Finally, good, good. <laughs> yeah, we went through the audit. We went through the audit in um, August with Open Zeppelin, and uh, you can read the report on our on our contracts on on their blog, and we link to it from our docs as well. I highly suggest everyone to go through the audit experience. If you're building in this space, it's one of the fastest ways to learn as a entrepreneur, as a developer, but also to just help yourself sleep well at night. You know, I think um, ever since we finished that audit, I just, uh, I feel like we can sleep a little bit easier about the safety and security. You know, we still have to remain vigilant and still have to stay on top of the safety of our, uh, of our platform, 
But, you know, the fact that we're audited, I think, lends us a lot of credibility. But yes, you can go to app.endowment.org right now, uh, open a DAF, contribute to that DAF and start making grant recommendations right away. Uh, Giving Tuesday is, you know, 18 hours away, depending on where you are in the country or in the world. And so we're really excited to see people come and open DAFs and uh, start to understand a little bit more about what DAFs are. You can give to any number of organizations. We have a collection of about 50 plus, 60 plus organizations that are already verified. Um, You'll see more of them trickling in as we work with uh, the giving block to verify more uh, more organizations. And that's sort of our offering for the end of the year. You know, we're really focused on this MVP uh, for the end of the year, but going into the next couple months, there's also a, a couple of other things that we're really, really excited about. We touched on it briefly here and um, I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to coming back on the pod to talk a little Absolutely. bit more about uh, the community fund once it launches. But we're working really hard to start building out the investment options and community governance options of handing over the sort of oversight and deployment of capital inside of endowment to our community. And that's really the purpose of the community fund is to say, can we build a community foundation that is truly governed by its community and have that be a function of your activity and participation in the endowment ecosystem generally? And, you know, the community fund will be a really interesting experiment in handing users the ability to basically be an endowment investment manager in a way that has normally been walled off and restricted to professionals at big universities and big community foundations around the country and sort of democratize that experience in the same way that we're bringing the DAF down to the masses as well. The other thing that I want to touch on that we're really excited about is we just announced last week with Rari Capital, the Rari Capital Foundation, which is a new, they're calling it an autonomous philanthropic machine. Uh, Basically, what they've done is they've decided to commit 50% of all fees generated by the Rari protocol to a DAF owned and managed by endowment called the Rari Capital Foundation. And their token holders will be able to sort of vote on the distributions out of that DAF on which organizations that DAF makes grant recommendations to. Mm -hmm. And we think this is a really powerful standard that Rari is setting for the broader DeFi community to say, if you want to kick some portion of of your fees to charity, Here is a platform for you to stand up your own donor advice fund and empower your own community to to feel involved in the greater impact that it's making in the broader world. And so we're seeing all sorts of new concepts popping up left and right and talking to a ton of different projects in the DeFi space about how they can fold in charitable giving in almost like a composable charitable foundation that can be attached onto any DeFi project that we think is is a real game changer for these protocols that have millions in TVL and hundreds of thousands in fees being generated to basically say, let's let's take a subset of this, let's take a little slice of this and put it to work for good in the causes and organizations, communities that we care about. 
Yeah, that's that's incredible. I was going to ask how long you think until DeFi starts auto allocating to endowment, but clearly it's already happening. I mean, beyond like the beyond the the great reasons to donate to charity, which we shouldn't overlook, are incredible. But just like a, a more selfish question here, because I'm sure other people will have it. You know, if a DeFi protocol automatically allocates endowment, it's incredible for your platform. But are people then missing out on the tax benefits? Like, is there a way to auto allocate where people could still get the benefits of the tax write-offs, or am I, or is that kind of not really the point? You know, you've 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 sniffed out some of our partnership roadmap here. Um, I think we're really excited and talking to a lot of projects in the space that do sort of you know yield aggregation or you know personal yield asset management. You know, places like Sapper, um, you know, others in the space who are sort of custodianing or or are a a part of a user's broader services, you know, cornucopia that they're working with in DeFi to basically have them have a one-click, you know, commit my rewards to charity and that will be able to get that tax receipt back to them. Those are a little bit more involved integrations. You know, part of what makes the Rari Capital Foundation something we can do right away is because the tax benefit is really restricted or, or siloed to just the Rari Capital team itself. They, as individuals, aren't getting any tax benefit, but the Rari Capital, as, uh, as, as an organization, will get a tax receipt for the donation that they're making. And down the road, we're hoping to pass that on to the users who are contributing to it. But that's a more involved engineering lift to try and come up with that integration on a technical front. So I love where your head's at. Give us some time to put the code to where the idea is, you know, we're thinking a lot about how we can make this as easy as possible. What I would say is for people who are looking to get that tax benefit right away right now, the easiest thing they can do is open a DAF on endowment and make a donation. We'll get them that tax receipt right away. And that's probably the simplest way to get uh, your sort of tax deduction as an individual. That's that's really cool, Robbie. And I guess last thing here is I'm, I'm sure a lot of donors want to remain anonymous, but from a social perspective, it's really easy for people just to share, you know, their smart contract data, their their transaction hash, what have you, and to prove to people that they actually made a donation instead mm-hmm. of just being kind of behind closed doors. I mean, they dox themselves, but at the end of the day, it could be pretty cool. Right. Yeah. You know, I think a couple of things. One is right now we don't support fully anonymous donations. However, all personal information that we collect on endowment is never stored on chain. And you as a donor have an option to select or clarify what identity you're passing to the organization when you make a grant recommendation. Um, So you can choose to say this gift to this organization is anonymous, but in order to open a DAF, we do need some personal information about you in order to pass you that tax receipt and have you be able to deduct it effectively from, from your tax return. So we're sort of straddling both options here. And if you're interested in making a truly, truly anonymous donation, uh, we can work with you to uh, basically provide the the sort of infrastructure that's necessary to do that in a way over the counter. But that being said, you have full control as the donor over what the organization hears about who's giving this money to them. 
And we never expose anything other than a UDID about the DAF to the Ethereum blockchain when moving funds between a DAF and an org. And so there, there is some semblance of an anonymity while also having that sort of ether scan breadcrumb paper trail of, you know, look at this donation that I made without exposing what the DAF is that it went into or, or where that DAF is giving out of. Yeah, no, that's fair. It's good that the info is not stored on chain or, or given away. And Robbie, this has been awesome, man. It's a really, you have a really interesting project. You're, you know, targeting a market that's massive in the traditional sense and making it easier for people. You're lowering the barriers for people to get involved. Um, and I'm pretty excited about the, uh, the community fund as well. So Robbie, thanks so much for coming on today, man. Absolutely. Thank you. Excited to see where everybody uh, gives to this Giving Tuesday. Make sure you get out there, open a DAF, and uh, and any contribution is a great contribution. No, no amount is too small. And uh, so really excited to just see the crypto community come in and sort of make a difference in the broader world here at the end of the year. Me too. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on, Robbie. Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, or sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.